welcome to New Peninsula Baptist Church. My name is Paul Crothers. I'm part of the ministry team here at the church, and it's great to be with you at Mount Martha again this morning, and also, of course, welcome to the many that join us online each week. It's great to have you a part of our service this morning as well. About um, a week and a half ago, it was a Tuesday night, and uh, my youngest daughter, Bridget, came up to me and said, Dad, we need to have a chat. Um, and I said, okay. And she goes, no, it needs to be a chat outside. And, and that means like we've got these two chairs on our back deck and that's where the serious conversations happen because you get away from the rest of the family and you get to have a serious conversation. So I said, oh, okay, I'm not really sure what I'm in for here, but let's go outside. And, and so we sat down and she looked at me and she said, Dad, you know how I've started playing netball this season? And I said, yeah, yeah, we've, you know, we've enrolled you at Dramana Netball Club and you're playing under 12s amongst a, a team of girls there. She says, yes, yes. And then she says, and you know how you've coached both Maria and Tom in their sports before? And I said, yes, yes, I, I know that, I know that. And then she says, well, you know how um, Tony is the... Um, and Tony's the guy that is on the committee of the netball club. She said, you know how Tony's on the netball club committee? I said, yes. He said, well, he's asked me to ask you if you would coach my netball team. And uh, then she looked at me. And you know how uh, daughters especially can do these puppy dog eye sort of things? And, And she looked at me with her puppy dog eyes and she says, Dad... I would really like you to do it. And she had me already, right? She had me. And I'm going, yeah, I'm going to do this. But I I paused, I waited, I thought I'll just see what else comes here. And then she looks at me again. She goes, Dad, if you don't do this, it will stay with me for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I thought at that point, I've actually got no chance, have I? No choice at all. So I said, yes, Dad. I'm more than happy to coach your netball team. Uh, turned up to training the next night, so that's Wednesday a week ago. We had what seemed to be a pretty good training session. We got there for the first game last Saturday, so Saturday a week ago, first game, and I'm, I'm putting them in their positions. And if you know netball, you know, like there's goalkeeper, goal defence, wing defence, wing attack, so on. And I'm putting in their positions, and I, 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 put the, uh, I gave the bib for wing attack to a girl that was going to wing attack. I said, now, do you know where you can run? She goes, No. I said, all right. And then I looked at the centre. I said, do you know where you can go? She goes, no. (laughs) All right. And and at that point, I realised that pretty much every single one of our girls had never played netball before. (laughs) And so I I quickly, we've got a little map there, like a a map of a court. So I tried to show them really quickly what their positions were and all that sort of stuff. But of course, you know, it was not quite the start we were after, certainly not in my coaching career down on the Mornington Peninsula in netball. Um, The result wasn't great, um, but the girls had a really good go and they tried really hard and it was really good. And I said, and at the end of the game, I said, girls, well done. I'm proud of you. You tried your best. You did well. We're going to go on a journey together. And, And what I can see, and this is true, what I could see in this group of girls is that unlike other teams, this group has a team where every single one of them can catch. Every single one of them can throw. Every single one of them can run. Some of them are really fast. So I know there's something to work with here. They just need to learn the rules of netball and the nuances of the game. And so we're on a journey. Now, so the first game wasn't real good. We turned up 
and I, could, I knew we were in trouble at warm-ups when I looked across at the other team and every single one of their players was taller than every single one of ours. <laughs> like they were tall as me. And, and our, all our girls are up to about here. I'm thinking, yeah, this is probably not going to work well. And, 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 you know, within the first sort of 30 seconds, you could go, no, it's not going to be a great result here for our first ever game. But that's okay. Uh, we, so we've gone on this journey. So last week we worked on some things. We worked on our footwork. Girls, you've got to, when you catch the ball, you've got to get your feet right. And we worked on our passing. We worked on the idea that when, you, when you're playing that ball, when you've got the ball, slow the game down. But when you don't get the ball, you speed the game up, you know, because there was too much like hot potatoes, you know, catch, 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 all this sort of stuff. So we worked on a few things. And then yesterday, guess what? We got smashed. <laughs> but we did much better. Much, much better. We even scored two goals. First two goals of the season so far. That was cool. Um, the coach was doing cartwheels up and down the, the sidelines just about. It was, it was a great day actually yesterday because the girls are starting to get it. And I know next week's going to be a whole lot better and the week after that's going to be even better. It won't be long before they're winning games because they've actually got the ability. They just need to learn the game of netball. We're going on a journey together. We have a faith journey that we go on as well. It's a journey of faith where sometimes we have to take two steps back to go forward. Sometimes we feel like we're losing all the time, but perhaps we're not that far away. Sometimes we have great wins and that's really cool. But the reality is that there's a journey of faith that we go on. Today we're continuing our series in Jonah. We're in the book of Jonah. We're in chapter 2. And what we read in chapter 2 is Jonah is going on this journey of faith. Jonah is a really interesting book in the Bible. It's part of the Minor Prophets, a collection of books that are at the end of the Old Testament, but it's quite unique. There's a number of different distinctives about Jonah. Jonah is the only book amongst the Minor Prophets which actually describes events that are happening around Jonah, where the rest of the Minor Prophets, that's the, the voice of the prophets speaking out God's judgment and his deliverance on the Israelites. So, so Jonah's more of a narrative. It's telling a story. Another really interesting distinctive about Jonah is that the message of God's deliverance, the message of God's mercy is not being directed to the Israelites, but it's being directed by a whole other group of people, not God's people, the Israelites, but the Assyrians. Tim Keller, who's a well-known pastor and author, says of Jonah that he is the worst of the prophets. Can you imagine getting that label? You've made the Bible, but you're the worst. The worst of the prophets. Now, Keller actually has some good justification as why he's calling Jonah the worst of the prophets because what we see throughout the four chapters of Jonah is that there's disobedience, there's anger, there's a judgmental attitude, there's pride and there's ego. Perhaps Keller's right. But there's something else about Jonah, and I'm so glad to be able to explore this book of the Bible with you because Jonah is so fallible, he's so human, he's just like us. And that's actually quite good news. So we're in Jonah chapter 2, and what's happened in Jonah chapter 1, and Dave opened up Jonah chapter 1 last week, you would know, if you know the story of Jonah and if you were with us last week, that Jonah had been given a message from God to go to the Assyrians, to go to Nineveh and tell them about God's judgment, but also God's mercy. And Jonah disobeyed God, and he went in the other direction, as far away as he could possibly get. From Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. 
But there was a big storm on the boat. And the, the ship, the sailors, they started throwing goods and stuff over to try and ballast the boat, to try and get it more even. And so it didn't go down. But Jonah knew that there was an issue. He said, you need to throw me overboard. They didn't want to do it. But in the end, they were convinced they did. And the storms calmed. And the boat and the sailors were delivered from the storm. But Jonah's in the depths of the sea and he's sinking. And along comes a fish and it swallows him. And while he was in the fish, this is the prayer that Jonah prayed. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers, they swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up. From the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now Jonah has gone, he's going here on a faith journey. He's discovered that disobeying God's not actually a very good idea. And there's a realisation that not only is it the Assyrians in Nineveh that need God, he needs God as well. And in this spiritual journey that Jonah goes on, and I think it captures something of the journey, the spiritual journey that we go on from time to time, there's three stages in this prayer of Jonah that he works through. The first stage is that he goes down to the depths. J.K. Rowling, the famous author, Harry Potter series, in the early 1990s, she found herself in a really difficult and problematic situation. She'd gotten married, she had a little kid, but the marriage was short-lived. It was an abusive marriage, and so she escaped from that marriage. And she just had barely enough means to make do, to feed herself, to clothe and put a roof over her head and that of her child. And she was at her wit's end. She was desperate. It was a really difficult situation, an unimaginable situation for many of us to be in. And yet as she looks back on that situation, this is what she writes. She says, failure was a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and I began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. There's something of that realisation, I think, that's happening here for Jonah. He's recognising his failure. 
and in his failure, it's being stripped back, all that ego, all that pride, all that self-reliance. There's this really interesting journey of language that happens throughout Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2 about going down to the depths. In chapter 1, what we read is that he went down to Joppa. We read then that a storm came up and Jonah was down below the decks. We read that the sailors threw him overboard and Jonah went down into the sea. And now in chapter 2, as Jonah is describing what's happening to him and what has happened to him, this language of going down into the depths is all through chapter 2. We read it in verse 2, from the deep in the realm of the dead. In verse 3, you hurled me into the depths. In verse 5, the deep surrounded me. In verse 6, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. There's this descent that's happening. Jonah is being stripped back. Pride, ego, it's being washed away. He's become aware of his need for God and the necessity to put his reliance on him. I wonder what it looks like for us when we're in this stage of the faith journey. Sometimes it's a health complication or a a diagnosis that we don't want of that for ourselves or a loved one and we go on this journey of descent. Sometimes it's a struggle around finances of job security or housing security or some other situation and we're going on a descent. Sometimes it's just to do with relationship within families. There's many reasons, many circumstances that happen around us and it causes us to start to question things and it causes us one of those questions is how we don't actually have it all together as much as we might have hoped or thought. And God can use that descent, God can use that situation to strip us back of our own ego, of our own pride. God can take us on a journey. I want to encourage you today if you find yourself in that situation where you're being stripped back right now. Sure, the situation around you will be very difficult. And it may well be appropriate and quite right to be somewhat despondent about that situation. But don't lose sight about what God is doing in the midst of that. Because just maybe God might be using that situation to draw you to him, to take you from a point of descent of going down to something new, to something else. And it brings us to the second stage of the faith journey that Jonah's gone on. He's gone down to the depths, but now in the belly of the fish, he looks up for deliverance. Again, we read some really interesting language in this passage in Jonah. I called to the Lord in verse 1. In verse 4, I will look again toward your holy temple. In verse 6, you brought my life up from the pit. In verse 7, my prayer rose to you. Jonah's gone down to the depths, but in doing that, he's looked up to God for his deliverance. What I find really fascinating about this passage and this prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is that at this point in time, Jonah's received only a partial deliverance. He's been delivered from drowning, but he's still in the belly of a fish. I don't know about you, but I don't think that would be a very nice place to be. I mean, I don't know a lot about whales, but I know enough to know that they stink. 
And to be inside one would be a very uncomfortable place to be. If I was inside the belly of a fish for three days, I wonder if I would be saying, God, get me out of this. (laughs) But no, Jonah's saying, God, thank you that you've delivered me. Albeit it's only a partial deliverance. There's an expression of faith here from Jonah. An expression of faith in God that even though the deliverance at that point has been partial, there is a full deliverance that is to come. One of the things I really love about the book of Jonah, and it's one of these distinctives that I've already shared about Jonah, and and that is that the, the message of God's mercy and hope is directed not to the Israelites but to another group of people, the Assyrians. Now, to give you a bit of context here and to understand what the Assyrians were like, they were, at the time of Jonah, a world superpower. Their regime was evil, it was corrupt, and when they went to war, they were brutal. Now, I could go into detail, but I'm choosing not to because it is so graphic that I don't think it serves us well to even share the details of it. But they were a horrible, brutal regime. You did not want to go to war with the Assyrians and you did not want to be captured or worse by them. So here we have this evil, corrupt group of people and Jonah is being told there's a message of God's mercy and judgment that you need to go and speak to Nineveh, which is the capital city, the place of power amongst this great, powerful nation. And so God is doing something that's actually quite extraordinary here and it's very easy for us to miss it. In the Old Testament, a lot of the focus of the message of God, whether it's in the minor prophets, the major prophets, other parts of the Old Testament, it's focused towards the Israelites. The message of God is for the Israelites, for his chosen people. And yet here God is saying, no, no, my grace, my mercy, it extends beyond even the Israelites. It is so far It is so wide that it blows your mind, literally. And for Jonah, having to give this message to the Ninevians, the Assyrians at Nineveh, was mind-blowing. He couldn't quite get his head around it. But what I love about this, and what I love about what it says, is that there's no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to his mercy. If his grace and mercy extends even to the Assyrians, it extends to me. It extends to you. There is nothing that you have done that would make God love you any more or any less because his love for you is already beyond limit and beyond even our comprehension. His grace and his mercy extends to you. So no matter what your situation is at the moment, no matter what the story is that you bring, take hope. Have trust. God's grace and mercy is more than enough for you. So this spiritual journey that Jonah went on, he went down to the depths. He looked up for deliverance. And then in verse 9, we find something really fascinating. In verse 9, he says, I am going to shout with praise. I'll sh- with shouts of grateful praise, 
will I sacrifice to you. What of that I would make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, what Jonah is saying here is that when I get out of the belly of fish, I'm going to go and I'm going to sing shouts of grateful praise and I'm going to say that salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is going to commit himself. He is committing himself to sharing of his dependence in God. In 1803, not far from where we're meeting today, at a place called Sullivan's Bay, just near Sorrento, the very first white settlement occurred in Victoria. And it was problematic from the start. On the very first day they arrived, there was conflict with our first peoples, putting in place something that would go on throughout generations that is still an ongoing concern. But they also landed in a place that was hard to grow things in. And so within 12 months, the settlement had failed and they moved on and it hadn't worked. But in 1803, they arrived. There was 400 of them. 300 of them were convicts. 100 of them uh, free settlers. One of the free settlers was a guy by the name of Reverend Bobby Knockwood. Uh, The Reverend Bobby was an interesting character. He was there to be the the chaplain of the group, to, to pastorally care for the group. But wherever Bobby had gone, there'd been issues. He, had, uh, he wasn't very good with money. Uh, and he went from place to place. And whenever he left, he owed people money. <laughs> He'd clear out and go to the next place. He had a bit of an issue with alcohol. He liked to drink. Uh, there's some suggestion that he was a bit of a womanizer as well. He wasn't actually a great character. But he was there on the ship to provide uh, God's presence and God's care for that group of 400 people. Bobby Knockwood, a bit like Jonah actually, was a very fallible character. But not long after they arrived, they arrived in October 1803 and on the 13th of November, Bobby Knockwood got everyone together and they had the very first Christian church service that was ever held on Victorian shores. Just 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so up the road from here. And the text that Bobby Knockwood chose for that day For this group of people, these first uh, uh, white settlers uh, on Victorian shores was from Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10. And I just want to read the words out. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If if I make my bed in the depths, you, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. That's fascinating, isn't it? Very first Christian service, 30 minutes from here, the very first words that were ever written out from the Bible on the land in which we now get to call our home were these words. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's three stages to the faith journey that Jonah goes on. Stage one was a descent. It was a going down to the depths. A recognition that his self-reliance, that his independence, that his disobedience was not what God had for him. 
And then he looked up for deliverance and he looked up for God. And in the, the stripping back and the pairing back, he realized he had to be utter reliant on God and he was dependent on him. And then there was this compulsion. He had to share of it. God's presence is there. We can't flee from it. We can't get away from it. And there's this compulsion to share about it. Uh, Tim Keller, who I mentioned earlier, had said that Jonah was the worst of the prophets, also points out that Jonah is one of the prophets that Jesus referred to in his teachings in Matthew chapter 11. It's interesting, isn't it? The worst of the prophets is being referred to by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to Jesus and and they're saying, if you are who you are, if you are the Son of God, give us a sign. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not giving a sign to you. The sign is the sign of Jonah. And, and it's interesting, many people have thought, well, what does Jesus mean about this? What was he saying about the sign of Jonah? Choosing the, the worst of the prophets to identify himself with and say, my sign is, is the sign of Jonah. And I think it's this. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. And God delivered him in his mercy. Jesus would spend three days in a tomb. He would take up a a punishment, a consequence that was not his to take, but took it up willingly in order that we may know forgiveness and life in God. I actually love the book of Jonah. And I think part of it is that my own story identifies with the story of Jonah somewhat. When I was 16, I was asleep one night and I was awoken in my bedroom. And when I woke up, I I, I can't find words to adequately describe the situation that I found myself in, but there was just this sense of that God's presence within that room in a very powerful and strong way. And I felt like God spoke to me that night as I got up and I responded to the sense of his presence that was in my bedroom and I got on my knees and I prayed and I felt God say to me, you know, I'm calling you, Paul, to be a minister of the gospel, to share my good news with others. For the next seven years, I ran. I ran. I don't know, I didn't know what to do with it, I wasn't sure and just felt all heavy and don't know if I want that calling, thanks God. <laughs> and I ran. At the age of 23, I was on a very different path. I'd become uh, entrenched in my work. I was enjoying my work, uh, making spectacle lenses. I was getting promoted and and good things were happening. I was uh, uh, looking at the real estate market at the time, thinking about houses to buy because I'd saved up enough money at the time to buy a house, which was uh, really good in those days when houses cost about $100,000. Do you remember that? Oh, my goodness. I'm getting old. But I remember all of that and, and, and life seemed to be going well but it was a life without much awareness of God at all and certainly no relationship with him. 
And then I got really unwell. I had an allergic reaction to penicillin. We weren't fully aware that that's what I was allergic to. I discovered it at the age of 23. And for me, it was like having a really heavy flu. Uh, I also came out in a rash all over my body. It was very uncomfortable. And I had no energy, uh, slept most of the day, and this went on for weeks. In fact, it took almost 10 weeks for the, the illness to work its way out of my body and for me to feel like I could go back to work again. And there were moments in that time of a 10-week period where I, I just thought, I'm never going to get better. There's no signs of improvement here. And, and I did what you should never do. I made a bit of a deal with God. I don't recommend it, by the way. But in my frustration, I guess, at my illness and the lack of progress and recovery, I, I'd been stripped back. I'd gone on this journey of descent. But I started to look up. And I said to God, I believe that night when I was 16, I, I believe those events were real. And if you make me well, if you heal me of this, and I'll commit myself to serving you. After praying that prayer, I did start to get better. And as I said, I returned to work. But not long after that, I, re I resigned from my work. The money that I saved funded Bible college. So I used all that money for funding my Bible college degree. This was before fee help, where you couldn't borrow money to do that. Put myself through Bible college and... The journey's continued. And there's been times when there's been journey of descent that have happened. You know, it, it, from time to time we all go on this journey of descent. I remember the Sunday after my brother-in-law had passed away in tragic circumstances and I was in church up the front because I was in pastoral ministry at that time and I was up the front of church. The last thing I wanted to do was worship God that day. The last thing I wanted to do. And I was there, and I refused to sing. I said, I'm not singing, God, because I was angry, you know. I'm not singing. And I felt God just say, you've got to worship me. You've got to worship me in this moment. So I did. And something shifted. And I went from that place of being down in the depths to greater dependence. And knowing that no matter what comes, no matter what happens, God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in weakness. We're all on a journey of faith. And we all have different stories to tell around that journey of faith. But what I want to do today is encourage you. Even if at this time it feels like you're down in the depths, know that you have a loving God who you can look up to, who you can depend on. Let me pray. Lord, we want to thank you for, for Jonah. 
And we thank you that you know, he is really fallible. And in a way, as much as he may well be described as the worst of the prophets, the story of Jonah still speaks powerfully to us today. Because we learn of a God who has unending mercy and unending compassion. Not just for one group of people, but for everyone. We learn of a God who in his grace and his mercy upon us allows us to have experiences that perhaps we don't like and we don't feel comfortable with, yet it allows us to be stripped back. And in the stripping back, as we release our pride and our ego and our self-reliance, we realise that God, our loving God, is one who we can utterly rely on and utterly depend. And Lord, I pray for those of us today that are here and for those of us who have joined us online who perhaps right now are in that space where they're down in the depths. Bring about your deliverance into those situations, I pray. Lord, your unending grace and mercy, may that reality seen this moment today and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.